0: Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Everyday Theology, where we as ordinary pastors connect theological truths to everyday ordinary believers like yourself. My name's Ben Campbell. I'm joined with Dustin Walters. Dustin, how you doing? And I'm doing well. Our listeners probably get tired of
1: our back and forth banter sometimes, but we're so thankful to be here today. And I'm excited to tell our listeners, Ben, that we're going to be talking about another instance of Four Lindsay and Fridays today. You guys will recall that on the first of the month, we have been discussing one chapter of Mr. Four Lines's book, The Quest for Truth, even though today we're going to be talking about chapter five, which is entitled The Nature and Attributes of God, The Nature and Attributes of God.
0: Yep. So we're going to have a uh, enjoyable, deep dive into who God is and what he is like. But um, most importantly, we're going to be um hopefully celebrating who he is and what he's done for us. And this is going to be an important discussion for us. I hope that we don't get too Trinitarian in this discussion because that's the next chapter. So it's going to be hard not to do that, but hopefully we'll, we'll, um, we'll avoid the, the Trinity discussion for until next time, but hopefully we can make some stuff work. Well, Ben, as we um,
1: as I read over the chapter in preparation for our recording today, um, I was thinking about um, I just recently have been reading some of the early English Baptist, English general Baptist writings. And um, there was a there was a man by the name of Joseph Hook who actually talked about the deity of of the spirit and the deity of the Son, And, and basically he, he argues pretty much what what Four Lines argues, uh, which we'll get into, I'm sure, in this episode a little bit about basically, when we think about the Triune God, uh, we're talking about the same one being one one essence, uh, trace substance, uh, trace persona, one substantia. Uh, so I probably butchered that Latin, but it's okay because I've never had Latin, so you guys could forgive me <laughs> for that.
0: Yeah, you can just speak English around here; it's fine. I'm from Arkansas. We don't do any of that Latin stuff. Well, our, our goal is
1: to speak uh, English that everyday believers will understand. But this this chapter, Ben, really today that we're going to talk about really is, is a matter of theology proper. Theology proper is kind of the language that's used to describe the study of God, his attributes, his being, what he is like. Um, Maybe a little bit of epistemology as well, like how we can know this God. So I'm really excited, Ben, about all that we have to do today uh, to discuss about um, the nature and attributes of God. I think, Ben, if you're good with it, I think it might be good if we uh, talk about maybe an overview of the chapter. And then as we think about some of the chapter headings, then maybe you and I can kind of go back and forth about some of those specifics uh, within each chapter And by the way One of the things I love about Brother lines Is that he wrote in such an intellectual way That his work is respected Intellectually credible And yet at the same time His work is For the total person His his work He didn't write this chapter on the nature and attributes of God So it would sit on a shelf and collect dust But so that worshipers might arise And, and may orient their total person under the lordship of the triune God. So with that being said, Ben, uh, any other introductory remarks before we get into an overview of the chapter and then kind of some of the specifics that he outlines here?
0: No, I think this is going to be very informative and hopefully helpful to people's spirituality as as we continue to uh, discuss this. I also want to say that this is probably going to um, help our podcast sort of level the playing field as far as what, why we call ourselves Reformed Arminians and uh, why. But, but, and part of that is because of what we believe about God and His person um, and the Trinity and those sorts of, of things that uh, we're going to try to um, communicate in this episode in the next Four Lindsay and Friday. But uh, that that's really going to be uh, kind of one of the big goals here is to communicate what Reformed Armenians have to bring to the table when it comes to theology proper? Well, and as you might imagine, dear listener,
1: um, there are different approaches uh, in the doctrine of salvation, which is soteriology, the study of salvation, um, coming from that Greek word soteria. Um, and I was, as I said that, I was thinking about the different endings there, but. Um, So, soteriology, doctrine of salvation, when we think about typically Calvinism, Arminianism, um, a lot of times, Ben, people think about Reformed theologians as simply only Calvin or Luther or Edwards. Um, But we, along with Matt Pinson and others, believe that Jacobus Arminius was Reformed in the same way, uh, in that he affirmed the five sola of the Reformation – and and he believed the Bible to be sufficient as as guiding for faith and practice, but Calvin's description of theology proper was different than Arminius's. Perhaps someday we could we could do a comparative analysis bin of uh, Calvin and Arminius on theology proper. Sounds like a mm-hmm. fun episode. But for today, yeah. dear listener, let's go ahead and situate ourselves. Grab your cup of coffee. Or your water, or your Dr. Pepper, whatever it is that you're drinking today, uh, grab your beverage of choice and uh, sit down with us, uh, and we'll uh, have a good old talk about the
0: nature and attributes of God. Absolutely. Uh, so, what this is going to uh, really answer that first inescapable questions. Again, you mentioned that four lines is uh, looking to relate theology proper to us as as people as persons and so uh this is going to answer that first question is there a god um and what kind of being is he or what is he like those types of questions so the key concept here um that we need to understand is is what we find here on at the really the introductory remarks of this chapter is that what is true with regard to the nature and attributes of God is equally true of all members of the Trinity. Now, again, this is a a uh, position that really can spark some controversy in evangelicalism as a whole and evangelical Christianity because, because you have things like eternal functional subordination and you have things like the eternal relations of authority and submission that are going um, against sort of the Nicene traditions and the, uh, the, the, the uh, Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and the Athanasian Creed, um, sort of the orthodox understanding of the Trinity. Um, but Four Lines seems to agree with Christian history here that, that all three persons of the Trinity are one in essence and one in will and one in character and one in attributes. They have a triunity. There's not like a functional submission uh, between the three persons. And that's an important uh, topic to understand as we move forward in our understanding of the person of God, the Father. So um, let's talk then, Dustin, about the basic nature of God. Give us some things, what Mr. Fourline says that that is sort of in God's basic nature.
1: Four lines begins the chapter by stating that God is spirit, and it's imperative for the listener to understand that God is a spirit being. And Four lines says he is distinguished from a material being. It's proper to think of God as having essence or substance, but the substance is immaterial rather than material. He says our minds are accustomed to thinking of material substance; that it's hard for us to think of a substance that is immaterial. And so he begins by quoting from John four twenty four. Ben, God is spirit, um, which which really would be the quote of the catechisms, right? Who is God? God is the tripersonal being who is spirit um, in his unformed substance. By the way, we get into a lot of. Um, epistemology a lot of uh even some science in this reflection because god um, is a being that is completely different than us ben Um, in one sense he is transcendent um, but he is also imminent so so four lines goes ben to from talking about that god is spirit and that he must be worshiped as spirit to talking about how that god is personal. I think that when Four Lines talks about the personal side of God, that really situates his understanding of theology proper. Um, I think that when when Four Lines talks about that God is personal, he says that it's not an observation to be made and passed over quickly. It deserves much thought in order to see and appreciate its far-reaching conclusions. Why is it so significant, Ben, that we recognize the basic nature of God as being spirit, personal, and then some other attributes that we can list off within his basic nature.
0: Well, it shows us um, that he is not only a person um, himself, but as uh, Four Lines likes to emphasize with that total personality that human beings are thinking and feeling and acting beings, so is God. In fact, he even says that the God of the Bible thinks, feels, and acts uh, is too obvious to resqu- require scriptural documentation, so he doesn't even feel like he needs to <laughs> give scripture references to understand that. Um, but what it means for us is that because God is personal, that there's um, there's a a another element added to the Christian faith in that God is concerned with uh, our well being and our spiritual well being and um, who we are as people um he says belief in a personal god opens the way for answers to the inescapable questions of life it gives meaning and purpose to your life in other words when you take you know the the greek gods or the roman gods or the god of uh, buddhism or islam or whatever those gods that are are completely impersonal and just have no no reaction and no re- relation to human beings. Um, it, it sort of makes your faith, it might give you some purpose, but it kind of makes your faith uh, sort of nonsensical. And one of the things, Ben, that I love about Four Lines is
1: he goes through all these logical conceptualizations in describing mm-hmm. all these different attributes of God. So we have the basic nature and if you think about it logically, you, you just mentioned that that it's not satisfying for the total person for, for God to be something other than infinite in relation to time and space, infinite in relation to others. He's independent. He's the only uncreated being. He's immutable, unchangeable. He's personal, and he's spirit, kind of taking the chapter in a reverse order there. But when Four Lines talks about this, I think he really— points to the rationality of the Christian faith, but also, then could we argue and say the rationality of classical Arminianism?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And that's exactly right, because the whole, really the whole premise of cla- or reformed Armenianism is, uh, <clears throat> it really stems down to a couple of different things that Four Lines is sort of the forebearer on, influence and response and the total personality because the total personality says that human beings are created in God's image. So we think with our minds, feel with our hearts, and act with our wills. That means that God does not deal with us as machines. He doesn't simply just say, um, you know, when it comes to election, that it's unconditional. You have nothing to bring to the table. Um, and you you can't do anything that I've not ordained for you to do. Um, now, In one sense, that is true god ordains and wills what he wills and he is sovereign over the world but he has created people in such a way to give them the opportunity to be persons to be people who think with their minds feel with their hearts and act with their wills that's what it means to be created in the image of god it's not a silhouette image because god is a spirit he's not he's not a a material being and so um, <clears throat> there, there's just so much uh, when it comes to Reformed Arminianism that hinges on our belief of, of the total personality and, and theology proper. I, I want to make a quick statement, um, too. I, li- I love that Four Lines also speaks of God's aseity or his independence, um, that he is self-existent. He, he doesn't exist um, dependent upon something else. Um, he has always existed and he exists within himself. That's um, another good Orthodox Nicene, Athanasian, Apostles Creed, traditional view of the, the person of God. So um, he, this is what Fourline says. He says his independence does not mean he will not respond to us, but it does mean the response is in keeping with his own nature, promises and plans. So he uh, is not. Uh, going to um, do something contrary to his nature, um, but he does, in fact, because he is personal, respond to us. There's so much there been about the basic
1: nature of God. It's it's rich. Um, it's it's a very fruitful discussion. But I think it's also helpful for us to do, as Four Lines does, and think not only about God's basic nature, what he is ontologically. But what he is in his natural attributes. By the way, mm-hmm. do you think he is interacting with Aristotelian philosophy, philosophy here, where he uh, is perhaps because you know how how Aristotle Ben talks about the the um, the um, natural properties or the the essential properties of a thing, uh, which God would be not a thing. We've already cleared that up. But but I think Aristotle kind of talks about. Uh, what are the essential attributes and what are the accidental attributes? And I think that four lines maybe is giving us perhaps a better paradigm for understanding God than
0: Aristotle did. Sure. Probably so. I, I, I would, I would just say that's probably uh, in the way that that four lines would be writing kind of in an, a way that Aquinas would re uh, you know, interact with Aristotle and stuff as well. Which is fascinating um, because Thomas like, T h o m i s t.
1: Those are uh, a group of philosophers who uh, really kind of adopt the thinking of uh, Thomas Aquinas uh, on things. And which, when you get into Christian philosophy, dear listener, when you get into the area of apologetics, there is um, what is called presuppositional apologetics, and then there is what is called. Um. Empirical or classical. The the other side of it is more uh, supposedly based on empirical data. Thomas has a different um, approach than some other Christian philosophers have had in history. Frankly, this is another matter, Ben. But we all have presuppositions. Uh, one of my dear friends at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary wrote a pamphlet that he gave to his students called "Unapologetic Apologetics." And in that, he argues that we all have presuppositions. We need to, we need to strive to make them more biblical and all that. But, um, you know, we can't just simply start uh, at nothing. We can't start at uh, a science lab, even though that's valid to coming to truth. So, so as we think about this in relation to God, we've thought we've talked about the basic nature of God and how He's spirit, personal, independent. And he's outside of us in relation to time and space, but also the natural attributes of God, which include all the omnis, omnipresent, omniscient, Mm -hmm. omnipotent.
0: Ben, tell our listeners what all those omnis mean. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, and and I want to distinguish here between. So the basic nature of God is that he's spirit. He's unchanging. He's self-existent. All of those uh, big $20 words like immutability and aseity and all those things um he's simple that's another way his he there's a simplicity to uh the trinity um but now what we're doing is we're moving into the attributes in other words like what is he like um so you have two different categories you have natural attributes and moral attributes um so his natural attributes basically are um what he means that kind of how he works in the world what's his re- relation to the created order and in that way, he's omnipresent. That just means that he is everywhere at all times. Um, you know, the psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the mountains, you are there. If I dip uh, down to the valleys, you are there also. Um, we, there's, there's never a place where God is not because he's, he's omnipresent. He's ever present. His omniscience, meaning uh, that he, he has infinite knowledge.
1: We want everyone to know that today's episode of Everyday Theology is sponsored in part by our friends at Welch Divinity School. Through the Master of Divinity degree, Welsh Divinity School seeks to foster Christian scholarship and provide leaders with graduate education in theological, classical disciplines, and in their integration with the practice of Christian ministry. To learn more about Welch Divinity School, visit welch.edu forward slash divinity.
0: Yeah. So his omniscience again is that his, his knowledge is infinite. It is that there's nothing that has ever existed or will exist that is outside of what he knows. Um, and that's because he is the creator of truth, right? Four lines, um, the de- describes this as uh, like our, our ways of knowing as upper story and lower story. Um, but there are things that are, um, that are available that that are that are known in the mind of God that cannot be known to the human mind. I am um, completely convinced, Dustin, that even in eternity, we will not know everything. I think the yeah. purpose of eternity is uh, to spend our lives, if we want to use Scripture references, transforming our. Uh, Lives by renewing our minds and by growing in knowledge of who God is and what He's submitting he is like. as worshippers, right? Isn't that really yeah, what discipleship's yeah. all about? Right. Well, and that's again, that's Romans twelve two, right? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Love um, that word, crazy. man. Metamorpho. Yeah, yeah, right. It's like it's where we get metamorphosis that 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 process of transformation that happens in biology, um, but. Th- what it is is that when we come to God's omniscience, what it is 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 that God sees the past and the future just as clearly as he sees right now as the present. Like I can see you. We're not in the same place, but I can see you face to face virtually. But but God can see just as clearly as you and I see one another. He can see a hundred years behind or he can see a thousand years. By the way,
1: Ben, I think this is important as we think about uh Arminius, and we think about four lines, and we think about the nature of God here. Um, sometimes in history, Arminians have been accused of being open theists. Perhaps right. liberal branches of Arminius, Arminians are, but not classical or reformed uh, Arminians. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, there is such a strong argument against Arminius being open theist or four lines. Um, free will, Baptist, which is who we are here at Everyday Theology. We'll cast our cards on the table. Um, if you have <laughs> questions about what we mean by that, we mean libertarian free will, not libertarian political party. But we mean libertarian free will. Then there's so many different. Um, when you bring up one layer of the onion, there's so many other layers behind it, um, right? And I, you know, we could get easily lost in the weeds of these these uh, these natural attributes of God. But I but I think it's fair for our listeners to know that. Um, While we know that in God's mind, he knows all possibilities, all possible worlds. Mm -hmm. This is the actual world in which he created us in his image and according to his likeness. And this is the world in which he sent his son, Jesus, the Messiah, to die for. And so um, while we want to say we are not determinist, we also want to advocate against Molinism. Yeah. Which is controversial. So if we upset some of our listeners there, you could go read about determinism. You could go read about Molinism. And I really sort of see Arminianism as kind of a something else. How does God work in the world without determining the events and yet
0: maintaining his omniscience? Oh, When it's coming out, I know it's this year um, because I talked to him about it last year, but he does have a Um, sort of a follow-up book to Free Will Revisited that is uh, going on on Molinism.
1: So, dear listener, today, so far, we've talked about the basic nature of God. Ben and I have been reflecting on his natural attributes, which we were talking recently about open theism and how Arminians are not open theists. Uh, We talked about Molinism a bit, and and Ben's going to provide some things there in the show notes about how Robert Piccarelli, one of the foremost free Baptist theologians other than Four Lines, Um, has kind of talked about how how we are not uh, Molinist. Um, And how this kind of situates itself is, is really about God's knowledge. God has knowledge, been of all probable and all possible worlds, and yet this is the actual world. And I think that kind of leads us to kind of conclude with this discussion on his natural attributes to talk about his power. Talk to us a little bit about what is meant by God's omnipotence before we move on to think about his moral attributes and then kind of conclude uh, what the chapter is about.
0: Well, God's omnipotence, we often say that God is all powerful, and that's very true. I bet that there's some discussions that need to be had probably in like the everyday church because, um, you know, we also, we all the times have questions like, can God make a rock so big he can't move it? Think, can things can of that read nature. a square circle or? Right, right, things like that, and that's not—that's really a a gross misrepresentation of uh, omnipotence and a logical absurdity. That too, <laughs> um, good, good, good way to describe that academically. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but one of the things that that we need to understand is that God, God's omnipotence means that He is not limited by any lack of power. He does not lack power to do anything, but. That doesn't mean that he is not limited himself. So, for instance, there are things in the Bible um, that God cannot do, right? God cannot sin. Tell a lie. God cannot tell a lie. Um, again, Four Lines even makes the square circle argument. He cannot make a square circle. Why? Because that's logically impossible. There's no such thing in the world that is has four corners and then but also has no corners right that that's that's what the law of non-contradiction Something cannot be both a and not a at the same time. And uh, so what what fourline says is that um, omnipotence does not preclude the possibility that there are some things God cannot do. It does preclude the possibility that he is ever limited by lack of power. The very nature of his being produces I'm sorry precludes, the possibility that he could do some things. So in other words, God, because God limits himself does not mean that he is not all powerful. It just simply means that he limits himself.
1: I think one of the self-limitations that God in his beautiful sovereign act of creation, uh, one of the ways that demonstrates itself is that he's given humans a certain amount of libertarian free will. No, you can talk about what does that look like before the fall and after the fall. And there are those who we love, brothers and sisters in Christ, who will have a home in heaven, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, who believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that they are sinners and that only through Christ's atonement can they be reconciled to God. Um, and yet they deny the possibility of free will. And I just, in the deepest part of my being, Ben, it's not because I only serve at a free will Baptist church. It's not because I work for a free will Baptist institution. I believe at the depth of my soul that free will has to be a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Because otherwise God ends up being the originator, the author, the cause, the influence and response for sin in the sense of, you know, he had always had a plan for redemption. Jesus Christ is not plan B in the mind of God, in the eternal mind of God. And yet he didn't cause Adam and Eve to choose the fruit in the Garden of Eden. Um, and I think as we bring this this back, um, God's power is such that it, it is amazing. And, and by the way, I think that this is one of those things that in his natural attributes that makes him God. Uh, there are things that you and I as humans are limited. And I think one of the struggles of humanity, Ben, one of the struggles of our depravity, one of the things in which we need redemption and confession regularly is on this thing about human limitation. Because what we try to do as pastors, as as people who are parents, I'm not, but you are, uh, others that are listening to us maybe, we're just trying to contextualize this for you guys, Um Uh, We fail and we fall flat on our face when we try to lead our churches in our own strength. We fail when we try to lead our families or our relationships outside of God's power because we have to come to a place where we realize blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are those who recognize their human finitude, those who Mm -hmm. recognize the absolute sovereignty of God, and yet the fact that He's all-powerful, um, points to his nature of being God. Now, some people would pose questions, Ben, that become other discussion topics, such as, if God is all-powerful, then why does evil exist in the world? The classic problem of evil, and we're not talking about that directly today. Um, if God is all-powerful and he's good, which is one of his moral attributes, his... His, his moral attributes being holiness, love, and wisdom, but then you talk about his overall characteristics, like Four Lines does, such as true, good, glorious, and these other adjectives like majestic and perfect that he uses. How that all comes back, while there are no easy answers, we must affirm what the Scripture says. It reigns on the just and the unjust. And our God, the tri-personal God, as revealed in the pages of the Bible, is indeed omniscient, omnipotent, and all. He is everything that we could ever imagine. He is completely other than us, and yet the best way to describe him is the word God.
0: Okay, so really there's just a couple of different um, moral attributes. Um, The first one is God's holiness. Four lines believes, and I agree with this, that God's basic moral attribute is his holiness. Um, like 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He cannot, uh, God cannot condone sin. Um, and that is, you can see this all throughout the Old Testament, even in the New Testament as well. But as a holy God, he cannot tolerate sin. And uh, that's how we uh, understand Romans 1. That God uh, has uh, revealed from heaven against all ungodliness his wrath um so his holiness is the the foundational that moral attribute for all of the other moral attributes um
1: which is contrary to um the position of universalists like Unitarian Universalists by the way, because uh-uh. they would make love the primary attribute, which it is an attribute of God and and how much do we see that in our culture man like there is so much talk about love in the arts and in theater and in literature. Um, it's like the, the Beatles song that was well before our time. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe Mr. Uh, Timothy could relate to that song a little better than us. But all you need is love. Well, there is this fascination in our culture with love, 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 love. Like, But Forlan says on page 73... When love is made the basic attribute of God, it leads to the idea of universal salvation, an idea that finds no support whatsoever in Scripture. I love that quote. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, we see that coming across in our world today, Ben, where people are like, we all just need to love one another and sing kumbaya and have a good time. Well, yeah, we do need to love each other. And we do need to be loving and welcoming, but we think about this in the the context of the church ecclesiology we think about membership we think about discipline we think about all these things that nobody wants to talk about um it's a misunderstanding of love and and i am no parent but i was raised by a parent who loved me um and my dad like taught me right and wrong even before i knew christ The reason this connects to this, it would not have been loving of my dad, Ben, to let me do whatever I wanted to do as a kid. That is the concept that has come across in our world today is like if you let your kids do whatever they want to do, then you're a loving parent. And that's just not true, and it's not biblical. Um, And Four Lines is absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate him putting holiness first in his um, sequential ordering here.
0: Well, I want to I say, too, that without God's holiness being his fundamental attribute, there's really no basis for atonement, and there's no basis for the, the cross and the crucifixion. Um, because, as he says here, it is holiness, not love, that demanded that sin be punished before God would forgive sin. Which
1: is why the governmental view of the atonement, by the way, is false.
0: Right, right. Well, yeah, it's why it really stands on faulty ground for sure, um, is because, and, and not only that, all of his other attributes flow out of his holiness. The, the, the way that we talk about God's holiness is that he is, um, I forget who says this, but they have a really good, short, concise definition. God is rid of any moral wickedness or evil. So there is nothing sinful, evil, questionable in the character of God because of his holiness. And that, um, that translates into every other um, moral attribute.
1: And so all of these attributes lead us to trust and worship. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times when you hear so-called atheists talk about they don't believe in a, in a God who would let so much bad happen in the world, for example, going back to the problem of evil – Um, many times as Bible-believing Christians, Ben, we can actually respond to those people and say, I don't believe in that God either. I believe in a God who's holy, just, good, righteous, and perfect in every way. And maybe even bringing C.S. Lewis into the conversation, um, part of the the evidence that God is 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 the fact that we do have a moral compass. Part of the Imago Mm -hmm. Dei that... um, Even people that try to silence belief in God and people who are mad at God because something happened to them and there's an emotional thing, whatever, which there is help. If you're struggling with belief today, dear listener, we want you to know the best way to fight against the lies that Satan lobs against your soul is to immerse yourself in a Bible-believing community, the, the church, and the Word of God And it is by reading the Word of God that we remind ourselves of His attributes over and over again. Ben, just like the people of Israel, we forget about God's holiness. We forget about God's love. We forget about His wisdom. And yet we have to keep going back to the Scriptures and just be like the psalmist said in Psalm 90. Um, of old, you've been our God. And, and so we need these reminders because we're human and, and we need to remember what he's like. And we need to remember that he's trustworthy and that he's good and that he's perfect, Ben. Uh, and that's what it all comes down to is whatever we believe about God is fine. But if our belief isn't based on the God as he discloses himself, then it's useless.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and God is holy. That is his basic fundamental moral attribute. But... Uh, that does not mean that he is not love. It does not mean that God is love, because the scriptures plainly point that out that he is love, right? Um, that that he has a loving kindness, even and 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 we even we don't like to think of it this way, but um, but even in the Old Testament, uh, God has a a faithful, a covenant love for his covenant people. That the Hebrew word Chesed is is his faithful love his covenant love you think of lamentations uh th- lamentations 3 that his uh, his faithful love endures forever um his mercies are new every morning um <clears throat> that's that's how we understand this you think of John 3:16 for god so loved the world well and not only that it's it's part of his love that we can pray that we can approach him at any time. Peter says, cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. That's part of his love. That's part of who he is as as a loving father who who entreats for us to to come and uh and you know sit in his lap and hear him breathe. Um but again without the love of God there is no mercy and there's no grace, right? So Um, that, that's, that's important. Um, the, the four line says that grace is offered is owed to the love of God, that it is free is owed to the holiness of God. So holiness demands a penalty for sin. Love says you don't have to do anything, but trust in faith that, um, that this is, this is for you and gives it to us in grace. Um, what's that last moral attribute, Dustin? Well, the last moral
1: attribute, so we have holiness, we have love, and we have wisdom. And four lines actually says, um, there is a sense in which holiness, love, wisdom, uh, holiness, love, and wisdom embrace the other. To subtract love or wisdom from holiness would corrupt holiness. To subtract holiness or wisdom for love would corrupt it. To subtract holiness or love from wisdom would corrupt wisdom. Yet, they are distinct. Um, So they have a relationship, but they're distinct.
0: Hmm. Yep. <clears throat> and so, uh, four lines basically gives natural attributes and moral attributes, saying that his natural attributes is how he uh, in, how he interacts with created order. His moral attributes really deals with how he interacts with human beings. Um, but then uh, I'm just going to go over these quickly. But four lines has a little section on the overall characteristics of God. In other words, that God is true and that he is the God of truth. He's good. He's glorious. He's majestic. He's perfect. Um, those are some things on page uh, 76 through the beginning of 78 that you can really um, look at in, uh, in time. But I want to speak just a moment to the overall um, awesomeness that Mr. Four Lines talks about. Of God, because Mister Fourlines had an interesting perspective. He was not keen on people using the word "awesome" and to describe anything else other than God. Um, because what he says is that it oftentimes um, it lessens the definition of what "awesome" means. Awesome meaning is meaning full of awe, and. If we say something is awesome, in one sense, we're comparing it to God. Um, it's the most awe is really what fear is in the Bible. It's reverence. It's awe. Um, so we there's, there's one sense we need to be careful about um, how we describe God. Anything to mention about that, Dustin, before we conclude here?
1: Well, four says, when the sinner is faced with the true awesomeness of God, he or she will become interested in the love, mercy and grace of God as it's manifested in Jesus. When the Christian is confronted with the true awesomeness of God, he or she will be ready for true worship and service. And Ben, I I wanted to close out, if it's good with you, um, by reading from Romans 11, after Paul reflects on the place of Abrahamic Israel within God's covenant and within the new covenant. Um, He begins to reflect on that in Romans 11, and he Mm concludes with saying, uh, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who, who has become his counselor, who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid him. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen.
0: Absolutely, so there's a lot of things here um, when it comes to the person of God. But what one of the things we want to uh, hopefully help you understand is that God's uh, holiness and His love, His natural attributes, His moral attributes, um, affect how we view Him. Um, If if one of those is compromised, then God's whole person is compromised, and so. Um, that's why it's important for us to have these discussions, like the Trinity, with the the EFSers and the ERA E-R-A-S-ers as well. Um, um, and and there's a lot of discussions going around on Evangelical Twitter about those things. But um, but but they're, they're they're delicate and they're important discussions to have, and we need to have these discussions. Um, but uh, dear listener, it, it's so important for us to for us to get. The doctrine of god right because if we get the doctrine of god wrong it affects not only our doctrine of god but it affects our doctrine of christ and of the holy spirit of salvation of scripture and its revelation and all of our other uh, doctrines within systematic theology so we pray dear listener that you uh take this conversation and uh, maybe listen to it a few times look some things up that you might not understand reach out to us if you have questions Um, But also, uh, please leave us a review on your uh, favorite uh, podcasting platform and uh, so that we can reach as many people as we can with the word of the Lord. And we hope that this truth reaches you for your good and for God's glory.